Welcome to Snap Sessions, an episodic podcast that looks at international artists and their creative pursuits, as well as interesting articles and broadcasts across the political spectrum. My name's Doug Nunn. I'm joined by Techmeister Marshall Downtown Brown and voiceover colossus Ken Krause, and by our artist of the show. Today we have Marshall Brown, musician, audio engineer, and digital arts teacher with collaborative edits by Mendocino High School's six-period radio production class. Support for Snap Sessions is brought to you by listeners who contribute generously at our link, patreon.com forward slash snap sessions, or through the link in the Snap Sessions website, thesnapsessions.com, and also the link in our show notes. Finding the Creative Spark NPR's Shakar Vedantam looks at inspiration. I'm a traveling man, made a lot of stops all over the world, and in every port I own the heart. Shakar Vedantam does a great NPR podcast called Hidden Brain, where he looks at the odd and various ways our brains work what influences decision-making, what makes things click upstairs. It's a podcast that has taught me much over the past few years. On July 10th, NPR broadcast his article, Want a Creative Spark? Get to know someone from another culture. The title tells us much. His premise? One way to improve creative output is to form deep connections with people from other countries and different cultures. Vedantam starts by visiting social psychologist Adam Galinsky, who has been doing research on this hypothesis. Specifically, he talks about the Dunker candle problem, where participants are given a candle, a box of tacks, and a book of matches. They are then asked to fix the candle to a wall in such a way that the candle doesn't drip wax onto the wall, table, or floor. Vedantam adds, the test requires you to think about familiar objects in a new way. And then subjects worked both with people from their own country and with others from a different country. In every creativity test, students asked to reflect on their relationship with someone from another country outperformed those asked to reflect on a relationship with someone from their own country. There was a boost in temporary creativity um, just by reflecting on the intercultural relationship. And that was really driven by the fact that people um, felt that they had learned more about another culture. And that reflection and that cultural learning led to increased creativity. Wow. A boost occurred just by reflecting on the intercultural relationship. Vedantam investigates further when he talks to a bagpipe player from Spain, Cristina Pato, who was invited to work in a multicultural group of musicians with famed cellist Yo-Yo Ma. Ma had been inspired by the international cross-pollination that went on for many years on the Silk Roads, the ancient caravan route between Europe and Asia. Vedantam continues... What Pato hadn't realized is that she had stumbled into a room filled with master musicians from around the world. They were part of a group created by Yo-Yo Ma. It's a collective known as the Silk Road Ensemble, and it brings together musicians from different cultures and different traditions. The vision for the collective, Pato says, is something Yo-Yo Ma calls the edge effect. Which is the point in which two ecosystems meet, like the forest and the savanna. And apparently, in ecology, in this edge effect, is where the most new life forms are created. And somehow, Silk Road is some sort of his recreation of this edge effect. Calling his band Silk Roads, the place where two cultural ecosystems meet was itself inspired. If the edge effect is where new life forms are created, it could also be the place from where new ideas spring. The place where people feel most inspired, most culturally alive. It strikes me that this is exactly what many international exchange students experience when they move to another country for a year or even a semester when they are thrown into circumstances where they must learn another language fast, where they must experience another culture on a daily basis. Their brains are challenged. Their creativity responds. They are inspired in thousands of ways. Every synapse sparks. In researching this piece, I went over multiple foreign exchange students' testimonials of their experiences in other countries. Various themes came to the fore, but they all support a basic idea. 
Living in another culture is an experience that expands your mind and erases prejudice. It's also a life-changing event that inspires you. Anna Parfanova, an exchange student at the University of British Columbia, seems to hit the nail right on the head. One of the best things about traveling and living abroad is meeting new people and fostering friendships with others. Meeting people who have different perspectives, backgrounds, and life experiences can be a transformative experience because it often shapes you into a more open-minded individual. Likewise, it opens doors of opportunities for you in other parts of the world that would otherwise be inaccessible to you. Parfanova goes on to say... People experience tremendous growth when they are facing vulnerability. Yes, being in an unfamiliar environment can be scary, uncomfortable, and confusing. However, those moments shape who you are as a person by helping you discover your capabilities and what you are made of. Stressful situations expose character and, more often than not, help to build it too. Discovering your capabilities, having transformative experiences, isn't this another way of backing up Yo-Yo Ma's articulation of the powers of the edge effect? Humans do best when they strive and don't settle, when they put themselves in situations where they celebrate and gain from cultural differences. I like home sweet home as much as the next guy, but I can vouch for the vivid joys of being an exchange student. Traveling is good for the soul. The first night you spend in Paris... The first time you walk through a Middle Eastern market will stun you with their vitality. Granted, not all of us can travel, and America First may make some people feel good about themselves. And that's great, but they'd be more creative and probably even more productive if they would at least be willing to meet people from different places. Experiencing diversity inspires us to greater things. Around that corner, in that odd little group of foreigners, in that unusually spicy meal, just might be the insight that will change your life forever. For our Snap Sessions interview with musician, audio engineer, digital arts teacher, Marshall Brown. We're celebrating the release of his new album, Sit and Ponder, due out this month. This is an interview especially close to our hearts, for Marshall is Snap Sessions Techmeister, the guy who puts these episodes together. And now, the Marshall Brown interview. here with Snap Sessions, and today we're going to talk to Marshall Brown. Now, some of you outside the Snap Sessions realm may not know about Mr. Brown, but he not only is our tech meister for Snap Sessions, he also is coming out with a brand new album, which is called Sit and Ponder. Is that correct? That's Marsh? correct, yes. Now, uh, Marshall has is actually, I would say, the ultimate source of Snap Sessions, as last summer, the summer of 2017, I was retiring as a teacher, and Marshall handed me a book on podcasting. And he said, I really think you should read this, and I think you should consider doing a podcast. So many months later, we were working on Snap Sessions. So Marshall... And now we're in here in my house. <laughs> and now we're in here in Marshall's house, freezing to death on yeah. a late December afternoon and getting ready to record. So yeah. anyway, I welcome you, Marshall Brown, to a Snap Sessions. Thanks for having me. Very, yes. very surreal and weird experience, but yeah. here we are. Well, we're glad to have you. and I'm accepting it. Our third Snap brother, uh, Ken Krause, is busy here recording for us, so this is all three of the mega talents of Snap Sessions yes. in one room. So anyway, Marsh, um, I know we're going to talk a, a fair amount about Sit and Ponder, and we're excited to hear 
some cuts from it. But I wanted to talk to you. I have known you pretty much all your life. Uh, you grew up around here in a musical family. Uh, your dad, Jimmy James Brown, and um, not to be confused with the soul singer, but he's a musician, and they were in a, uh, he was in a band with his brother, right? The Brown yep, yep, Paper Bag Brothers. And um, your mom, Kristen Frost, um, you, you come from a very musical family, typical Mendocino kind of thing. A lot of artists live here. Saxophone was actually probably my, my third set of wind instruments that I learned how to oh. play. I mean, the first instrument, I don't, I, I don't know. I probably played all sorts of little things. There's pictures of me toking on the piano at, like, age two and, like, a little toddler carrier playing around there. Was that one of those um, kid pianos, or was that, like, a real piano? That was, like, I, I was on a real piano. I'd just be mm-hmm. reaching for the piano and playing the keys. So mm-hmm. yeah, there's that, that early fascination there. Um, first instrument, like, I physically learned how to play would probably be the guitar. And mm-hmm. my dad gave me an acoustic guitar in fifth grade. He gave me a couple method books, and he said, just do it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that was probably the start of, of my way of approaching an instrument or approaching song creation or really doing anything. It just kind of like, just leave me alone and let me figure it out. And I think that mm-hmm. kind of like gave me this drive that I've carried with me since, you mm-hmm. know, and, I, and I'm definitely thankful that my dad just... Yeah, he was he was open to like oh, I'll teach you some chords and stuff like that, but really like, he just gave me a couple books and an acoustic guitar, and he said learn these chords. And then you know bought me an electric guitar when I was in middle school, got my first amp, um, more method books, more you know like I think one of my first guitar books was a Beatles songbook and had like 12, 12 of their big hits, eight days a week stuff like that. Uh-huh. Um, and I just learned the songs you know over time and, and definitely developed my skills as a as a guitar player. I I personally don't like being the lead guitarist i just like being the guy to hold being the guy that holds the beat so rhythm guitar player i think is is kind of more my my cup of tea but Mm -hmm. you know knowing the chords and and the structure and understanding kind of where i fit in the band as a a rhythm guitarist Mm -hmm. so um and then wind instruments i played trumpet first so i started playing tenor sax and got a couple method books and and learned how to play saxophone and and it was pretty much game over at that point I, i i turned into more of a sax player than a than a trumpet player so I played alto, tenor, barry sax throughout middle school and high school, and, mm-hmm. and that's definitely my my instrument of choice when when given an opportunity to, to play music. I know we'll talk more later about the other instruments you play on the album, but so right now you'd say that coming out of school when you were a kid, you started guitar and then you're, you moved to sax, mm-hmm. trumpet and then sax, mm-hmm. and by then you... Now it's your sax is, is still your favorite instrument. Sax is still my favorite instrument. That's the one I, mm-hmm. I spent the most time. The most time I, I played at band camp. The most time mm-hmm. that I, I played outside of school in school was was saxophone. So mm-hmm. and of a variety of you know alto sax, tenor sax, and barry sax. I played a little bit of soprano sax too. So played all at least those, those four. But I own my own alto sax that mm-hmm. my parents bought for me. And like eighth grade freshman year, and I, I still I still have that, and so it's still one of my, my favorite instruments to play. That was like my first being around that technology, DJing during lunch, really built just this huge foundation for me in radio later mm-hmm. uh, going into high school and some of my first first gigs freshman year of high school I remember walking into to fifth period media lab and instantly like just I don't wonder if it was the the musky old ancient analog technology or if it was just the way that everything was laid out in the room I just walked in there and went I am in love yeah just love at first sight all the computers all the technology all the just the beautiful 16-track Tascam recorder, inch and a half tape reel, um, all the all the all the MIDI keyboards, all the cameras, everything was just like I was, you know, it was it was a very euphoric <laughs> time for me, going like, oh, I could use all this technology, great, and that definitely I think kind of just that pretty much like set the rocket and. We're, we're now kind of where we're at today because yeah. of that. But but anyway. Um, but so Scott kind of pushed you in the right direction. He, yeah. Gave you a little bit of background and then say, give this a go kind yeah, of thing. He did a lot of that. That was <laughs> a very project-based oriented class. He'd, he'd teach us a couple things. You know, here's how a microphone works. Uh, I kind of would break apart a microphone and then he said, okay, okay go now record with a microphone. And, and here's the technology you need to do that. And, and we worked a lot with, you know, uh, a free version of Pro Tools. 
back when it was oh, yeah. owned by DigiDesign before Avid bought it out. And we spent a lot of time in Pro Tools and, and I was using Reason a bunch as well. While in high school, Marshall, uh, you continued to spend summers at band camp. Now, yes. of course, this was always a fascinating thing for some of us. You would go off in band camp in the summer, and how many uh, dozens or hundreds of youths so, are there? I think it was a little bit more back when we were at Silver Lake, so it was like 200-plus teenage campers. So this is mm -hmm. grades, if you're going into seventh grade or have just graduated high school, that's kind of the teenage gap you get there, and it's separated, mm -hmm. into, it's separated into two bands, two wind ensembles. Oh. Junior band, that's grades going into seventh grade or going into your uh, freshman year. And then the senior high band is grades 10 going into graduated seniors. So you're split up into two bands, and, and they averaged about, like, you know, 90 to 110 per band, mm -hmm. generally. And then I think the senior band got as low as, like, 80 students. But, you know, we we have a rigorous schedule of, you know, uh, sight reading music and that was kind of the the skill that was ultimately the the goal of what we were developing is we'd sight read and sight reading is this skill that you know some musicians really don't like doing and they like to just practice a song before they pop you know mm -hmm. perform it in front of a group of people but we'd sight read like 70 pieces of music in about four and a half five days High school, Marshall, you parlayed your tech skills into a job as a video editor, a media manager, with a group called Doctors Improving Healthcare, which later became Top Doc, which later became Top Rated Media. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about this organization, what your job as a video editor, media manager was like, and what you did with them. Yeah, so what mm -hmm. I did is I was brought in at 19, and my, my job was to essentially help manage all of the incoming media and traffic that came in. So whether it was photos, videos, things like that, it was my job to take the individual hard drives from a multitude of videographers, photographers, and, and manage that media, make sure it's backed up in two places. And then at that point, I would process photos. I would sometimes get like 200 photos and I'd have to pick 30 of the best. I'd edit those 30 photos. I'd get them uploaded. And then I would cut... And by cut, I would edit. I would edit specific videos. And, and there were a few different paths that the videos went on. They had like more creative commercials, and then they had kind of more simpleton, cookie cutter type based things. And so they were doing commercials for doctors. Yeah. Right? So it was for doctors and dentists. And in, in the and the 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 tagline was like, "Oh, doctors improving healthcare." Blah blah blah. Then we moved into the top doc era, which. I call my hell <laughs> and kind of like my my proving grounds in terms of, of an editor and a media manager. What, wait, what turned it into hell? Hell in a good way, I guess I should uh -huh, say. But maybe uh -huh. not hell. I'll say chaos. It was, okay. it was like it was my, my first taste of chaos in terms of like still 19, barely 20 at the time. I was basically responsible for 12, 15 terabytes worth of media, Yikes. incoming media, mm -hmm. and making sure it got out to various different editors because I, I, I couldn't cut all that content in a reasonable amount of time. You know, there's there like the expectation was like I get it. If I know I can't cut it in time, send it off to an editor. Like, okay, so it's like I'm getting all this media, ingesting it, copying it onto hard drives and field drives, sending it off to various editors, I bring it back in while I'm also cutting other content at the same time. So like I'm managing fifteen terabytes of media while also cutting commercials and processing photos at the same time. About seven years ago, you were offered a job at Mendocino High running the Media Lab. So this is the one that you early on learned at. And now, fast forward to now, we're at 2018, it's, it's December, I have 75 students in the production and managerial arts program alone, and I work with about 90 students total via yearbook as well. So between those five classes, the mm -hmm. program now is, is something that I dreamt of when I was in high school. We only had two media lab classes back when I was in high school. 
I was in one of them. You know, we were a pretty tight knit little collective of students, but I always felt that like if there was way more of us, that we'd be able to like make more v- movies and like have more time to experiment and, right. and have it be this bigger thing and and just have like this program that's just massive and fun. They can choose music production and spend more time learning how to um, the recording arts industry and learn more of of music and how to make music with computers, how to to be a self-published artist mm-hmm. and produce music and put music out there on your own or work with labels and stuff like that. They could do the radio field and radio production and then, you know, help run the day-to-day operations of our, um, what we call our flagship KKX 89.3 FM student powered radio. And, and they help make content for the station. They learn, um, about podcasting and what podcasting plays a role in radio mm-hmm. and things like that. And, and just, you know, we have, a fully legal FM radio station. So they're, they're the sole drivers of, of specifically generated content for certain time slots. For the past few years, Marshall, you've been working on an album, Sit and Ponder. It's a sort of instrumental alternative album. You've played all the instruments on this album, and uh, there's a mix of real instruments, saxophone, guitar, Mm -hmm. etc. And there's uh, also a mix of uh, some of your software-based instruments. You've played everything. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about the the album itself, and tell us, you know, how you incorporated the different instruments. Sit and Ponder, I don't know, I felt like it was a dream album. It's something I wanted to do for a very long time. It was kind of like I graduated high school and I made a bunch of songs that summer and they just weren't quite what I wanted yet. And I didn't know at the time if it was whether I needed to develop more as a musician, immerse myself in different music genres and just go, what can I take away from these genres to make my music what it is and or I need to like pick up some more instruments and figure things out um but I was kind of looking at it at the at my software going well I want to really like I want to play saxophone I want to do these things but I can't yet record I couldn't at the time with the software I was using propeller heads reason um couldn't take a saxophone plug in a mic and record straight into the software it wasn't built for that yet so it's still Mm -hmm. kind of a, a a young application I ended up playing around and experimenting with a lot of different things for a few years and just strictly software-based instruments. And and I had created some skeleton songs that could potentially be something, but it did not work out to what I wanted. So So by skeleton uh, songs, do you mean like melodic riffs or like parts of songs? Yeah, like I would like create like a loop essentially Uh and go, okay, okay, like I could expand on that. It was just like way too complex for me to like take what I did in Reason, put it in other software... I really didn't want to stop using Reason. Like mm-hmm. I just, I was in love with the software, the workflow that I could do. And I just, I kind of just, I just waited with where I was at with school and, and my other jobs. I just, music wasn't necessarily like at the forefront of what I wanted to do and where I wanted to spend my time. Mm-hmm. So okay. I just, I needed, I needed to mature a little bit more into what we were mm-hmm. doing. So, so you had some basics there. I you had, had some basics. beginnings of some songs. Yeah, uh-huh. Some songs and like what could potentially be an album, but I, I didn't know what that would be. So what struck me was, was reason version eight came out and, there was there was a way in version six and seven to like alternatively they had this other application called record and you can record your instruments and then take that loop and bring it into reason and you can edit those wave files but it was still kind of clunky so with version eight version eight had the ability for me to just have an input and plug it straight into reason so kind of like ableton and what logic had done for years reason was finally able to kind of like catch up (laughs) with the rest of the software you know what we call digital audio workstation or DAWs. reason was able to catch up with everybody else i was able to just take a guitar i could i could use my voice sing would do whatever and record it straight into reason so then at that point my the my dreamy workflow that i'd wanted ever since 2009 came to be so this is in like 2016, 2017. I'd waited long enough so that I could start doing this. And that is when I started spending more time taking instruments, recording it into Reason and experimenting and going, okay, this sounds good. This doesn't sound good. One day, this line popped into my head. I'm in the middle of the Harvest parking lot in Fort Bragg. Uh-huh. 
And I swear to God, it was like a strike of lightning or it just came into my head. Uh, I'll play this song for you later. It ended up being the ukulele line for the song I made called Play When Sad. Mm-hmm. But it just came to my head. Da, 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 da. And then it just, again, came out of nowhere, out of thin air. And I went, I need to record that. So I whistled it on my phone and then did my shopping, got home, immediately turned on the computer, got the ukulele out. And then I plucked the line on the ukulele and I went, oh, this is a song right here. And then about four hours later, groceries were still left out. I just dropped everything off where it was, didn't do anything for four hours except record. And then that was essentially the f- the first song that I recorded for what would become Sit and Ponder for the, the full 19 track album was Play When Sad was like my first like, okay, aha moment. I'm going to make a song based off of a lot of these acoustic instruments and, and I took a lot of stuff that I made in 2009, 2010, reopened those projects back up with the new software and just copied and pasted and did all sorts of things and made these Frankenstein songs and, and kind of just, you know, made this album, which again was a, a blend of me taking ukulele, melodica, saxophone, trumpet, my voice, guitar, bass, whatever. And piano, uh, right? And piano as well, yep. And then I would blend that with a lot of the, the software-based synthesizers or drum sequencers and stuff like that with Reason and, and kind of make this special little album out of it. So what, what makes Reason so special? I couldn't tell you. It just works with me. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's this weird symbiotic relationship. My brother introduced it to me when I was like in fourth or fifth grade. He brought home a computer and he's like, check this out, Marshall. And I could click on a menu And the great thing about Reason is that it's really just, like, based on, like, if I was in a studio. Mm -hmm. So if I open up Reason right now, I have three different windows. I have Mm -hmm. my sequencer, which is like a timeline if I'm editing video. Okay. So that's where Mm -hmm. I paint my picture, essentially, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have another window, which is my rack mount. And I can literally just take, like, oh, here's all this expensive thousand dollars, you know, thousands and tens of thousand dollars worth of, like, effects, rack effects, rack instruments. I can just literally click or I can drag these things into the rack. Okay. And just literally just drag and drop. And then I have just this fat rack of, like, different things. And you can take these effects and you can reroute them in things. And you can create the most unholy sounds you've ever imagined just by, like, plugging this into that and and... It's essentially just a giant lesson in signal flow because mm-hmm. the greatest thing about Reason, which I can't do with other software, is that when I load up the rack, I hit the tab button on mm-hmm. my keyboard and then it'll turn the whole rack around, this virtual rack. So I have like the front, I can turn all the dials, but I hit tab. I can reroute all the cables and reroute it to wherever the hell I want it to go, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So it's just this giant lesson in respect for if I had the tens and that like six figures worth of money to play with this stuff with my hands physically, I just do it via software with reason and I can just manipulate things and do things. It's, it's, it gets me to think more. Mm-hmm. Like I have to really think about what sound I'm trying to make and I have to kind of like almost fail a few times to go, okay, that didn't work the first time, but now what if I do this? Mm-hmm. Where like, if this effect doesn't work, why don't we do this? And I can just like add and drop and plug things in and just, it's kind of like being Pablo Picasso yeah, and yeah. just brr, going nuts with, with so all this So you could take so. a saxophone riff and then mess with it in the rack and make it mm-hmm. sound completely different, yet it would still be the saxophone. It would still be the saxophone, yeah, totally. Okay, so, right. And that's mm-hmm. that's... Part of the reason why I love Reason so much, and just the workflow, and over the last few version, we're at version 10.1, 10.2 now, and just little things like I can go to the mixer now, and I could select like five or six different faders at the same time with the shift key, and then I can just touch one of them, and then it'll adjust all five at the same time. So they've just oh. done like little workflow updates that you haven't had in the past to make it more efficient. Mm-hmm. and much more fun to kind of play around with. So I work in the field a lot still, so yeah. it's good for me to always practice my signal flow skills. So again, that's why I love Reason so much, because it is it's just a great big lesson in signal flow. Now I see why you call this album, Sit and Ponder, yes. a love letter to Reason. Yes. I think in a lot of ways, the passion that you have just shown in explaining mm-hmm. yeah. how these three different things, the timeline, the rack, and the mixer... Mm-hmm all come together, especially in your explanation of the rack, yeah. shows the passion that you have for the for the reason itself. Yeah. DAWs or Diddle workstations is, is kind of a, a pick your poison type of thing and there's always just this heated battle of like, oh, you know, if you make 
music on Reason, you're you're only you're stuck in the techno electronica genre. Or if you mm -hmm. use Ableton, then you're gonna make slap and hip hop rap beats and things like that. But you know, my my favorite thing is to, is to kind of just educate those people who say you're stuck within whatever. I could have made Sit and Ponder with any of the other software that's mm -hmm. out there, mm -hmm. but it's just the way that it was introduced to me at a very young age, and then to just keep using it through high school, and then eventually buying it and utilizing it in that way. I don't know. You pick your poison, and you do what works for you to make whatever craft that you want. So I think that that's, you know, that's my, my little tidbit for anyone who's trying to purchase software for, for DAWs and in that field and make music with that. So, yeah. Marsh, um, you have some of your um, favorite songs on Sit and Ponder, and I wonder if you could give us a little tour of your four favorite songs. It was hard to pick these four, but I felt like these four songs will kind of give you a, a good overall feel for what was produced, because okay. there's, there's 19 tracks, so um, I picked these these four here. So okay. um, here's the what we just call the intro. This is the intro of the album. Kind of starts with some piano in the beginning. Set the tone a little bit. Um, I don't necessarily remember. There wasn't really an inspiration as to how the song came to be. I was just trying to discover a sound. And what I ended up doing was I took a piano and started playing it, and then I stuck a delay on it. And, and then I went, ooh, this sounds kind of neat. What can I do with this? So I picked a set of chords, and then that's kind of what, what started here. So we'll go back to it. Okay, I hear that in the background, like the delayed piano. It just keeps repeating a little bit. Mm -hmm. That's just me hitting it every four bars, and then it would just repeat itself. Mm -hmm. and, and then I went, oh, this sounds kind of cinematic. This sounds kind of gives me goosebumps a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I recorded that, and then I recorded that second piano there, the da-da-da-da-da, right here. That's when I really got goosebumps. I went, okay, like this could be like, ooh, the introduction to the album perhaps. Mm -hmm. And I kind of experimented some more and got a different sound. And then I plugged in my guitar straight into Reason and hooked up a, you know, a couple distorted effects and, and a chorus. And Is that like a cello effect that's, there? That, that's guitar. guitar. That's me on I guitar, mm -hmm. kind of playing up on the neck, kind of starting low and then going up and then back down again. And that's like three or four different layers of the guitar in different octaves. It sounds like so, a cello. It really yeah, yeah, totally yeah, does. It does. So, uh -huh. uh, so that's kind of how that song came to be. And, and again, I had like absolutely no... I just was like, I have some free time. I'm going to talk around on the on the you know, production box for a little bit and see what I can come up with. And I remember just playing that repeated piano part and going like, oh, this actually might be the intro to the album. So uh, that's kind of where that, that one came from. I like that one a lot because I think, I, I hope it sets a tone. I could sell you on what Sit and Ponder, what I feel like what Sit and Ponder is. Mm -hmm. But as a musician, whenever I release a song, it's going to be interpreted by every single person in their own way. You're going to look at Sit and Ponder your own way. Kenny Boy over here is going to look mm -hmm. at Sit and Ponder in his own way. Mm -hmm. And I have to be very open to that as a musician and as, as an artist as well. So I look at the intro as the, as the song that sets the tone for the album. Like This is kind of what you're going to be hearing more of. It's going to be a mixture of software-based instruments with me taking electric or acoustic instruments and layering it in, and this is a lot of what you're going to be hearing. Mm -hmm. um, so to me, introduction or the intro track is just giving you a taste of what's to come. But again, it, it's it's going to be interpreted by whomever. Uh, okay. The next the next one is called the feels. The feels. The feels. Yes, uh -huh. the feels. Kind of like feelings. Yes, I have the feels. Um, this was one of those projects like I made in 2013 or 14. It just wasn't matured enough yet. Whether it was me or the song itself just wasn't quite ready. I got to a point and I just stopped. I was like, what else am I gonna do with this? I don't know. So I just kind of tabled the project. And then when I started major production on Sit and Ponder, I went, I'm gonna revisit the feels. I don't quite remember, I have to play it. This one has a little bit more, this line right here. 
with the Rhodes keyboard. This is the original line that I made back in like 2014. Uh -huh. And I went, what am I going to do to expand on it now? So I got all my instruments out. So it's a drum sequencer playing the drums. Then you have two different trumpet parts playing in the background. And, and that kind of plays along with the Rhodes keyboard. There's a, like a couple other little synthesizers and a bass in there as well. Um, so, again, started in 2013-14. Now, this is like 2016-2017, beginning of the year. And kind of like that's just the basis of the song. That's, that's what you hear mostly. That's the repetitive part of it. Uh -huh. uh, and this was probably the first song after I did play went sad I think I, this was like the second song I worked on I went oh I'm going to unearth something that I did from ages ago so this part right here the chorus of this song was when I really went oh wow like I can do a lot of cool shit with these instruments and just layers so what you're hearing right now is like three saxophone lines two trumpet lines uh, you're hearing like eight or nine maybe ten different things happening at the same time and the combination of instruments on this reminds me a little bit of like of a hurdy-gurdy or something. Yeah. It's a very old-sounding mm -hmm. instrument, like a European folk music or something. Totally, yeah. And that's, mm -hmm. again, that's it's kind of what I was was going for, whatever that you guys mm -hmm. wanted to interpret there. So. And what's the name of this one? This one's called The Fields. The Fields? So, yeah. Totally. That's cool. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, that's The Fields. So... I don't know. I think when I was recording this, I think the following day I had slated to be going out on a date. Oh. So, like, I was going through this emotions of nervous ninnies at the same time, like, oh, I'm about to go on a date. Like, I need to wrap up production on this, otherwise it might take another turn or it might turn into, a, I don't know, whatever. Yeah, the feels might yeah. feel a whole lot different. Oh, a whole yeah. lot different. So yeah. I just went, all right, I better wrap this up. So um, that's kind of, I think, why I was in that mindset of just, like, you know, this is what my brain looks like when I'm nervous. <laughs> yeah, sure. Right? Uh, you know, this uh, is kind of like hey, half this album, or this song was made. I was, you know, feeling the nervous energy of, like, going on a date. Uh, know, I like so. this riff, too. What, what instrument is this? This is a saxophone. So what this is, is I was trying to figure out, like, how am I going to send this song home? And, you know, there's so many different books and musicians and everybody does their own thing. What I like to do is I like to just get rid of a lot of things and then reintroduce it again. Mm -hmm. So I went back to just the one single sax line and then layered back in the chorus again. Mm -hmm. All the instruments used in the chorus. And you'll hear it here in just a second. We're back in the chorus again. So it kind of just eliminated a lot of instruments and then rebuilt it back up again into the chorus to, to, mm -hmm. to send it home. So mm -hmm. uh, that's kind of where I was at with that. Okay. So that's the feels. So that's the feels. Okay. Well, again, one of my favorites because it has all the horns in there. Again, mm -hmm. so. I like that a lot. I also like it sounds uh, older to me, too. Yeah. There's the next one. Here's Play One Sad. So here's, here's the song that kind of started it all for me. Okay. Um, again, this was the, the lightning strike in Harvest Market. The line just came into my head, and I went, okay, here we go. And then this was the first song that I really kind of went, okay, this workflow works, taking acoustic instruments and, and, and bringing it into reason. So That first line, I'll go back again, that first line right here. For whatever reason... I don't know how and where it came from. I'm in the middle of, I'm just about to go shopping. That line just pops into my head mm -hmm. out of nowhere. I just started humming it. It was like this, like over, I was overcome with like this energy. I have, again, absolutely no clue where it came from, but all of a sudden, and then that expanded into that, more rhythmic there. Is that sax there? Yeah, the saxophone, two sax lines. So a lot of what, I don't know, all the tracks you hear on Sit and Ponder is all instrumental. And there's a reason for that. There's a few reasons. I'm a terrible lyricist. I can't write music for crap. <laughs> so I'm musical lyrics. Musical lyrics to say the least. And, and I'm, I'm honing that skill. Like yesterday, I spent 
an hour writing lyrics, and I actually recorded some lyrics for the like one of the first or second times I've ever done it on Reason. Yeah. Um, and it, it's you know I'm gonna explore that after Sit and Ponder is released and we'll play with that. But um, this is an instru- instrumental album, so it's as if they're they're full three minute songs, but there's just absolute there's just no lyrics. So you know. Um, you could say that the album could be boring at times because there's not a lot of transitions. I made them simple for a reason because I feel like instrumentals are, that's just kind of like, that's the genre. There's just not a whole lot to them. Sure. They're simple songs. So, um, what was that transitional uh, transition right here? So we'll go back to it. I essentially needed a way to take it from what would be a verse going into the chorus. Mm hmm. That was like that was a synthesizer, and then it just I just played the synthesizer and just had this really weird transition, uh, and I liked it, and it just went right into the chorus. Mm-hmm. So that's just essentially me going from like here's the verse, I'm steering the ship into the chorus now for a little bit, mm-hmm. and then here it comes again right here. Now we're in the chorus. What, I, what did you use to make that sound? That was, like I said, a synthesizer. A synthesizer. So I was okay. just like me poking on the, the keyboard, and it just made that sound. It got it built, mm-hmm. and then it just died out again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then here's where we introduced the melodica. So this is the first song that okay. I recorded with my melodica that I just bought. Will you remind us what a melodica is? Because so, I, I can see it. I yeah, know. It's a melodica a is essentially... Keyboard it's, a, it's an air keyboard, essentially. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. so um, the... Uh, uh, John Baptiste. What inspired me to buy one is uh, the the band leader for uh, Colbert. Uh, oh yeah, the late show Stephen Colbert. Yeah, John Baptiste of Stay Human. He plays a melodica, a uh-huh. mean melodica. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, yeah. He's a killer uh, piano player. Killer too. piano player. Mm-hmm. And I'm stoked he won a Grammy. I'm just like, oh, or not one. He's he's been nominated to win a couple of uh, mm-hmm. Grammys, which is great. So yeah. like, I'm stoked about that. Um, but he plays a mean melodica. So I was like, you know what? I actually kind of want to take up melodica. So I bought one and. This was the first song that I, I recorded with my melodica. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and my, and again, is that it there? Right here, yeah. So there's the melodica. It's a couple different. There's two melodica lines there. And yeah, I don't know. The process when I make music, it's it's kind of weird. Like. I don't do drugs, I don't drink or anything like that, so I don't necessarily know the experience, but like when I make music, I go into like this this really weird creative zone for like three or four hours, and like I forget to eat, I forget to do anything, I don't look at my phone, and I just zone out really hard, mm. and half the time I don't even, like, especially with this song, like it took me that three or four hours, I don't even know what happened in those three or four hours. I was like just in this zone of just like I'm gonna I'm gonna look at my computer and just like just crank this thing out and it just again it's an out of body experience it feels like whenever I make music which is great you know yeah, it it's makes, a wonderful it, thing it's yeah. fun you know it's just, I just get to be creative and, and just like crank this stuff out and and it's sometimes I'll go into this four hour zone and sometimes the song I was like God this song sucks like it's just it's just not quite what I wanted mm-hmm. and I have to look at it and go okay I'll come back to it later and then two months later I decide I want to go on this trip and go make some music again and then I, I'll reopen another song and I go oh whoa like this is actually how I should have approached it and then I actually like love this song and there's a few songs on on the album where again I just you know recorded it the first time I was like ah this is not not quite there yet so I gave it a couple months and went back into it again and then yeah there we go I I, I loved how it turned out it's wonderful it's Uh, wonderful yeah so that one was called Play When Sad that's Play When Sad okay and then this last one uh, is the 15th track on the album it's called Nervous Energy and I don't quite remember what state I mean obviously I was nervous about something what I was nervous about I don't know but this was just me plucking around on the guitar, trying to figure out what I wanted to record next. I knew I had a few more songs I needed to, to get on the album. I had wrapped production on Sit and Ponder. Mm-hmm. And then like six months later, I came up with this lick, um, this lick right here. So this is ex post facto. Kind of yeah, ex post facto. So I came up with this guitar line right here. I'll play it back again. This is kind of like a foundation rhythm for the guitar. I went, okay, added some drums to it, added some effects. 
So a lot of sit and ponder, I, I, I play a lot with stereo effects. So certain instruments of the drums will appear on the right side or the left side, and oh, then yeah. go back left That's right. another thing about it. I got a little Doppler effect, so uh, that's a lot of it's, what I do. It sounds a little bit like you're hitting a piece of metal or something. Yeah. No. Not quite remember what the instrument was, but yeah, th- this is nervous energy in a okay. second. Go ahead. This has a guitar, a bass, that effect, drums, and what else? Right now we have saxophone. Saxophone, okay. So we've added in that, okay. That's with the chorus. So, I guess you could say when I'm nervous or I'm in the zone, this is where my heart and my brain is. Like, this is what's playing in my head. Like, just, you know, a little going for it. So, uh, this was a weird one. I had accidentally queued up. So, like, in reason, I'll be making music. And then I had left. I, I was on the guitar track which had a different effect on it, and I started playing saxophone, and I was like, ooh, I like that delay, and I really like that sound of the reverb that I had on it, so I just I copied and pasted it, and took, you know, the audio track, and took those effects, and put it on the saxophone, and that's kind of where I came up with them. You hear the saxophones here. There's a slight delay to it. Yeah, yeah. By sheer chance, I just accidentally left the uh, I left the guitar track hot. I just left the record enable button on uh, on my guitar track, and I just started playing my saxophone. I went, "Ooh, this sounds kind of like ooh, I might be able to do something fun with that." By sheer chance, accidentally leaving that record track on, I just took those effects and pasted it onto the saxophone track. And I was yeah. able to record those effects. Kind of make that song. So yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, in a lot of ways, reason becomes the the extra instrument in the room. Yeah, I mean, reason essentially is like my instrument. And mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of just the the synthesizers and the and the drums. Um, the bulk of all the drums created in reason were created in reason. It was all software. You know, they're not my samples, but they're samples that come with reason. Um, but they're not. All of the drums were composed by me. It's just like the kick sample, the snare sample. Like those were all recorded. I don't know where, but it was just stuff that came with reason. And then I told, I told the computer where to hit the snare and the the bass drum nice. and all of that. So um, there are probably. So what? It's December 28th right now. In the next three weeks, I'm going to re-record four of the songs and actually incorporate real drums into like four or five of these songs, probably. So, and then I'm going to get it all distributed and all wrapped up. So, uh, and then when do you expect um, "Sit and Ponder" to officially? Isn't it in mid-January? Yeah, January 18th, Friday is kind of the expected delivery date. That's kind of what I told everyone multiple times via social media. So. I'm holding myself hard to that deadline. Sure. Um, You're stuck now, Mark. I'm stuck now, so <laughs> that's, you know, and, and the idea is that uh, I'm, I'm working on getting it distributed to Spotify, iTunes, Bandcamp, uh, SoundCloud, so it'll be available for free. Um, and then if people want to purchase a digital version of it, um, they can do that through Bandcamp or iTunes, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but for now, the goal is just to get it all free for everybody, and um, mm-hmm. it makes me very nervous to put my work out there for the first time. That's not, you know, where I'm being paid. Like this is solely just with my free time, just been piecing this thing together the last couple of years. So I'm, I'm nervous about what people will think because a lot of what I'm doing with sit and ponder doesn't necessarily, I say break the rules of music production, but like, yeah, there's times where I go, how many instruments can I actually consciously put on this song to where it makes sense and sounds cool, right? Mm-hmm. Some producers and some musicians when making an album say that that will break the rules and it, it doesn't make your song sound any better if you add instruments. But what I'm trying to do is experiment and really spend a lot of time in my mixing and a lot of time in choosing different instruments that have different tones to where it's like, I'm just trying to make a puzzle essentially. And how can I make that puzzle sound good? Mm-hmm. And and that's the challenge of, that was the challenge of Set and Ponder is like, how can I take 
you know, the smorgasbord of this platter of instruments and how can I make it all sound good on one song? Well, this has been great talking to you about the songs themselves. You'll get this album out. Sit and Ponder will be out in the world mm -hmm. uh, mid-January. And then at that point, you're just going to see what the reaction is before you proceed further? Mm -hmm. Or are you, do you have an ongoing amount of music that you're making at this point? There's always been kind of an ongoing amount that I make. Um, about a, about a month ago, I released a, a, a little project. I did. I released something called My Summer Mixtape Volume One, oh, and mm -hmm. I released that on SoundCloud a month ago. And it was some stuff that I worked on in the past. And it was kind of like I used that as to gauge reaction for what Sit and Ponder might be. I, I think I, it was it was received positively. A lot of people <laughs> dug what we what I had put out, and and um, I think I'm going to continually release just. I know as a teacher, I have a guaranteed time off during the summertime. So always during the summertime, I think I'm always going to try and put together a little fun, for fun little demo thing. Now I'll put it out on SoundCloud. And, but in regards to like a full 19 track album that I release on multiple platforms, like I, I don't know where that's going to go. I have ambitions to write more. And like I said, like yesterday, I just recorded something for fun and, 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 it, and I went, okay, like I don't like my voice very much, but I could learn to like my voice and I can manipulate it a little bit to where I can maybe yeah. like it some more. So I think what you'll hear is sit and ponder version 2.0, but with lyrics and it may oh, not be a 19 uh -huh. track album. I'm also exploring. I have ideas about like a jazz album, but I'm going to do everything in my bedroom and I'm going to play all the instruments. So I'll do the drums, the bass, the piano, the guitar, the saxophones and whatever else I can get my, my hands on and, and do like this funk jazz fusion thing. And I kind of want to explore that and kind of mm -hmm. just see where that goes a little bit. Cause jazz is, is probably one of my favorite genres in terms of just mm -hmm. like the, the improvisational part and just everything about it. Use the wind instruments and just, I don't know. I could I could go on forever about why I love jazz, but it's mm -hmm. it's, it's an it's an ins inspirational genre for me. So I kind of want to do like a, a Marshall version of it and just kind of see what I can I can do with that. So I think after sit and ponder, that's the direction I'm going in is, is still experimenting with what I want to do. Um, but essentially, it'll be a very different thing. I think. It's been wonderful, Marshall. I really, really appreciate the tour, a chance to go through, sit and ponder with you. And it's been great to learn about, you know, all the background and how you got to where you are today. So Thank you. we appreciate it. And we're very proud of our Snap Sessions brother for putting out this album. And we look forward to the release. Yeah. Well, pleasure, Marshall. Cheers. Thank you very much. And thanks to Mr. Ken Krauss for recording this whole darn thing. Oh, yeah. Make your appointment today. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>
The cartoon was good, but it was that goofy song that got in my head. It turned out to be Spike Jones and his City Slickers' first big hit, and likely the greatest propaganda song of the Second World War. One gets the feeling that if that song had been pumped into Nazi Germany over the radio waves, it may even have shortened the war. Lindley Armstrong Jones was born in 1911 and got his nickname, Spike, because he was so skinny he looked like a railroad spike. At the age of 11, Spike got his first set of drums and was off on his journey into music land. Throughout his teens, Spike played in bands he formed himself, so he would always have someone to play with. His first was called Spike Jones and His Five Tacks. It was sometime during these formative years that a railroad restaurant chef taught Spike how to use pots and pans, forks, knives, and spoons as musical instruments. This was the equivalent of giving Anthony Bourdain his first recipe book. In the 1930s, Spike Jones joined the Victor Young Orchestra and played on a variety of radio shows, including Al Jolson's Lifeboy program, Burns and Allen, and Bing Crosby's Craft Music Hall. According to Wikipedia, at this point, Spike Jones began working with other musical nuts. Jones became bored playing the same music each night with the orchestras. He found other like-minded musicians and they began playing parodies of standard songs for their own entertainment. The musicians wanted their wives to share their enjoyment, so they recorded their weekly performances. One of the recordings made its way into the hands of an RCA Victor executive who offered the musicians a recording contract. One of the City Slicker's early recordings for the label was Der Führer's Face. The record's success inspired Jones to become the band's leader. He initially thought the popularity the record brought them would fade. However, audiences kept asking for more, so Jones started working on more comic arrangements. A series of hits followed. My Old Flame, featuring a priceless Peter Lorre imitation by Paul Fries, later of Rocky and Bullwinkle fame. Allow me to introduce myself. Ghost Riders in the Sky, and Spike's Wacky Wacky Keen's version of Hawaiian War Chant. <laughs> Jones and the City Slickers were quite popular and appeared on a variety of radio shows throughout the 1940s and even had their own TV show in the 1950s, The Spike Jones Show and Club Oasis, which appeared on NBC and CBS. Cocktails for Two was another of their classics. Some secluded rendezvous that overlooks the avenue with someone sharing a delight. There's some bad cocktails for two as we enjoy a cigarette to some exquisite chansonette. Two hands are sure to slyly meet beneath a serviette with cocktails for two. My head may go Spike led the band from the front, like a conductor or band leader. And next to him, he had a drum outfitted with a honking horn and other musical props. As noted in Wikipedia, Spike usually dressed in a suit with an enormous check pattern and was seen leaping around playing a washboard, cowbells, a suite of klaxons and foghorns, then xylophone, then shooting a pistol. Spike Jones played with some excellent musicians and singers over his career, including trumpeter George Rock, clarinetist Mickey Katz, saxophonist Red Ingle, trombonist Frank Reback, clarinetist Del Porter, and vocalist Carl Grayson and Doodles Weaver. In some ways, Spike Jones paved the way for future musical weirdos Frank Zappa and Weird Al Yankovic. We salute Spike by going out with one of his famous hits from his album Murdering the Classics, where he murders Strauss's Blue Danube.
serene. Ruff, 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 ruff. And though the blueberry looks a little purple, and though your maple syrup looks a little purple, don't believe what you have heard or you have saw. The land you visit blue is green. Ta-da. Thanks to our artist of the show, musician, audio engineer, and digital arts teacher, Marshall Brown. And a special thanks to Mendocino High School's six-period radio production class. And thanks to our jack-of-all-trades, Ken Krause. Don't be an airhead. Get out there and do something creative. Dabble in something that inspires you. Read something challenging. Scour magazines. Expand your perspective. Our aim is to give you an international outlook on the arts and a critical look at world politics. Salute the power of creativity and foster international solidarity. Make Mother Earth great again. Thanks Thanks for listening. listening.